0: Hello everyone, welcome to Nevada Adventure and Paranormal, we're your hosts, I'm Tom and this is Chris. And we are a small independent
1: podcast based out of Nevada, and our topics include uh, focusing on paranormal claims and our own misadventures in the desert. (laughs) You got that right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, anyway, um, this is going to be our first episode, and to start off... What better way to talk about Nevada, the paranormal, and adventure than talk about a little bit about Area 51? So I've done a little bit of research here, and I came across a pretty well-written article on how stuff works, uh, written by Jonathan Strickland and Patrick J. Keiger. Sorry if I'm butchering your name, man. Uh, which we'll also link in our description but this is a basic timeline Uh, we're gonna start off with the history and facts about Area 51 our famous not-so-secret secret secret airbase in the desert. Um, So starting in 1957 the uh, CIA starts looking for a place to test the famous or infamous U-2 spy plane and they eventually come across the Groom Lake. Um, They eventually come across uh, Groom Lake in the southern Nevada desert about 80 miles north of Las Vegas where they start what is called the Watertown project. Um, Leading up to the testing of the U2 they built a small trailer park basically um, Kind of scraped a runway out of the uh, hard, dry lake bed. And that was kind of their focus up until about 1962 when Project Oxcart got started and created the A 12, the predecessor to the SR 71 Blackbird. Uh, The first test flight took place two months after the aircraft's arrival at the base, and CIA pilots arrive at the base nearly a year later to begin flight training for actual operations. On to 1967 would be on to 1967 would be Project Have Donut, where they started training with the Meg Fighters.
1: That's a funny name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Some of the shit they come up with. And they come up with these uh, code names to confuse the enemy or other spies or what have you. Um, So you don't really want to use a word that could indicate what the project is. Like, you wouldn't call the SR-71 project Project Blackbird. Hint, hint.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Funny story about the SR-71. It was originally the RS-71. But when they made the announcement about it, um, the president at the time... I don't remember who it was, so forgive me if you're a super history buff. Um, But the president called it the SR-71. He transposed the R and the S, and nobody wanted to tell him he was wrong. (laughs) Hence, SR-71 instead of RS-71. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: But getting back on subject, as far as 1967 with Half Donut, when they brought in the first MiG-21 was uh, obviously during Vietnam, And pilots in the F-4 Phantoms, technologically superior aircraft, just were not able to keep up until they were able to actually do dogfights and get in the sky against um, enemy planes. So that was one of the uh, other secret projects and kind of a not so well known project. Most people think Area 51, they think stealth, they think blackbirds spy planes UFOs and aliens (laughs) but um, I think, I believe it was up until uh, like 2012 or 2013, the Red Eagles still flew out of Tonopah test range and they were flying uh, Russian Meg jets up until that current generation so just kind of a cool little side note there Um, 1977 comes along uh, years before the public first became aware of the stealth fighter but there were reports of triangular craft Uh, the first F-117 Nighthawk arrived at Area 51 for testing Uh, under the project codename Have Blue I don't know why they use have as their codename prefix but you can usually kind of guess um, nineteen eighty two the vehicle known as tacit blue this was uh kind of a like if an s r seventy one blackbird got stung by a bunch of bees is a good way to describe it. I heard it described on another podcast um but that's a good way to describe tacit blue It's kind of bloated and flat nosed and not the angular stealth shape we usually think about um in nineteen eighty four the base part or petition, not partition, get your English right, an additional 89,000 acres of land to increase the size of the restricted airspace, which at that point the airspace had a height of 20 nautical miles or 37 kilometers and was beginning to be referred to as the box or the red box by pilots. Um, And guards start forbidding the public from entering the area before it's officially withdrawn, which started raising the concerns about Area 51 and Groom Lake and the secret tests and what are they really hiding. And then in 1988, Soviet satellite photographs show up of Area 51, and Popular Science magazine runs the photograph. And then in 1989, we start the rather infamous case of um, employees getting sick after they were burning uh, the toxic chemicals used for building the stealth jets and this led to eventually to President Clinton in the 90s um, signing an official document pretty much exempting the uh, the base from you know most rules because it quote- unquote doesn't exist Um, and then in 1995 another land grab happens taking Whitesides Peak and Freedom Ridge and closing off Roadblock Canyon which were all popular uh, viewpoints to see the base in operation and 1995 to current we have the supposed Aurora spacecraft which most people are associating with the Air Force's new unmanned space plane there's been talk of possible relocations to the Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah, which also aren't very far from us. I've driven mm-hmm. past it a zillion times. And most recently, actually within like the last two weeks, uh F one seventeens have been seen flying again. Uh this last one was over Death Valley and there's been reports over the last few years since uh since about twenty thirteen. Oh that's cool. Yeah. So, there's a little history primer on Area 51. Like I said, this is kind of a... You kind of can't talk about paranormal in Nevada without talking about Area 51. You can't really talk about adventure in Nevada without talking about checking out Area 51. There's a zillion and a half trails out there. Yeah. So, that'll about do it for my part and chris has some cool articles he's been looking into so chris go ahead and take it away ah thank you anyway um you'd think that nevada would have enough going on for
1: it with you know area 51 legalized prostitution 24-hour uh gambling and laundromats uh legalized weed legalized weed thank you and also really insanely lax booze laws but apparently that wasn't enough so i did some research on uh, cryptids that are found in nevada right and turns out that we are home to a bunch of monsters on top of all that anyway um anyway. so the first one i want to talk about is tahoe tessie based on uh washoe and paiute tribe legends uh, basically, it's a great serpent-like monster, right? Uh, lived be- lived in a cave beneath uh, Lake Tahoe, and apparently it's somewhere in the range of like 80 to 100 feet long, some people say. And on top of that, there have been hundreds of reports about serpent sightings in Lake Tahoe over the last couple of centuries, and some of them even persist into the modern era. Like, for instance... Uh, There was, in 1959, a police officer named Mickey Daniels and a fisherman uh, were at Lake Tahoe with his 43-foot-long boat when uh, a wake rocked it. And he realized that that wake wasn't, wasn't any normal wake. Instead, it felt like, you know, a giant sea monster or sea creature swimming underneath his boat. And he also claimed that he saw some kind of shimmering like scales or something like that too but apparently no one really believed him and so his story pretty much dies there but 1979 interestingly enough 20 years after the first recorded sighting in the 20th century a witness claimed him and his group of four other people saw an enormous serpent-like creature you know giant snake hunting a school of fish Honestly, I find that really interesting simply because it was about as big around as a telephone pole and maybe 30 to 60 feet in length from what we could see of it, he said, uh, as he told uh, the local newspaper. It didn't swim like a snake. It was diving up and splashing down with its head and neck uh, into a school of fish which were leaping out of the water ahead of it. We were speechless for several minutes afterwards. And uh, that is actually classic alpha predator behavior right there. So, I mean, whether or not it actually exists is uh, up to the viewer that, and the person receiving the information. Personally, I, I prefer to be on the skeptic side of it, but it's still a pretty cool thought. And um, more fishermen reported uh, seeing a 15-foot-long serpent swimming underneath their boats in the 80s numerous witnesses in the 90s, 2000s and even as far as close by as uh, 2015 have claimed to see the hump and head of an enormous creature in the lake and of course explanations rev- range from you know a surviving plesiosaur to a freshwater eel to a sturgeon even some like to say that it is a giant catfish but i digress and uh, One more monster I've been researching, and it's actually really cool, is uh, or Jarbage. Anyway, the unincorporated town of Jarbage sits in the 113,000 acre Jarbridge wilderness in the mountains of Elko County in northeastern Nevada, which is exactly where we're from. Which is kind of surprising, because I mean, most of the creatures here aren't, you know, cryptids. They're just cows and deer. And the occasional, you know, coyotean thing. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense though. Uh anyway, jarbridge is a Shoshone Indian word that means monster that lurks in the canyon. A local legend claims that a giant named Oh my god, what the hell? Tsawa bit. Sorry, I didn't mean to butcher that, but oh my god, there are so many uh consonants and not enough vowels. Um, grabbed anyone who ventured into his canyon put them in a basket and carried the victims to his cave where he would cook and eat them. The Shoshone chased Sawabits Bits into the cave and imprisoned this man-eating monster by blocking the entrance with boulder. Interesting stuff. There's actually not that much uh, information available about it, but you can bet we're probably going to make an episode where we go up to Jarbage and do some digging just to yeah. see. And last but not least, uh there's also this other one of uh a living pterosaur uh, was diving near Winnemucca. Yeah, Winnemucca. Uh so I mean, you know, it's kind of a backwater place with like what, five thousand people you'd say?
0: Almost oh, gotta be bigger than that. They got a Walmart now.
1: Oh crap. Okay, our- so ten thousand.
0: <laughs> For our listeners <laughs> That's how you measure the size of a town in Nevada. If they got a Walmart, they're bigger.
1: Yes. Nevada or uh Elko has a Walmart, and apparently Winnemucca does too. So, um anyway, this was in June of twenty fifteen when they encountered a gray leathery quote unquote bird on Ice I eighty, according to the website uh cryptozoology news, which Seriously, guys, you should totally check that out. It's really interesting stuff. Lots of cool articles. Um,
0: we'll probably put a link in our description later.
1: Yep, yep. Definitely going to put a link in our description. Uh, there are headlights shone on the creature at about 11 p.m. It had a long, thin neck, a long beak, and a big head crest. There were claws on the end of its seven-foot-wide bat-like wings, and the creature struggled to get airborne and barely cleared the top of the man's car. Uh, the driver identified it as a parasaur. Although th- thought to have been extinct for like 65 million years, sightings of living pterosaurs have been reported all across the world and in uh, exploring American monsters in Arkansas and Kansas. Well, anyway, um, that should be enough for right now, but uh, if you like our podcast please subscribe and also follow us on uh, facebook and instagram
0: and that'll be nv underscore adventure underscore paranormal for instagram and we'll be the same for the facebook for the foreseeable future thank you all and have a good night all right